You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Tuesday night, August 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2022, every given Saturday. That's what the show's about. That's the entire ethos. That's our mantra, but that's especially what tonight is about for more reasons than just the usual reasons. We are jam-packed high atop a hopeful downtown Nashville as Vanderbilt is out on the big island of Hawaii getting ready to play a week zero game. And contrary to some reports out there, it is called Week Zero. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, let me tell you what we're talking about tonight. The most pressure games, not for the whole season, but easily in September and early October. I've got several that I want to discuss with you tonight. I had the mailbag open earlier this morning, and a number of you asked a number of questions that we'll get to on tonight's show, but a couple of them were just, why do you hate the playoff? Or do you hate the playoff? Or... If we expand the playoff, will it fix this, this, or that? So we're going to just bundle that all up, and I will answer that tonight. Because a lot of you are new, so you don't know why I have this disdain in my voice when I talk about the postseason in college football. And I think there's some maybe misconceptions out there, so we'll clear that up tonight. Nick Saban is rich. That's not breaking news, but what is breaking news is he is richer. How much richer? And some mind-boggling stats to give you tonight. Also, another great question in the inbox that it's well past time to answer. How do you avoid being a casual? It's the biggest pejorative in the college football universe these days. You don't want to be a casual. Don't lose to food. Don't be a casual. Those are really the only two rules we have around here. We don't even have a dress code. I want to give you some very simple instructions to live your life by tonight. Jackson, Tennessee, they're tuned in. Allentown, PA, tuned in. Jupiter, Florida, and Verberg loose on the pronunciation there, but it's in Sweden. They are tuned in. Huge show this evening. We're coming off our two-hour extravaganza Sunday night. If you haven't watched it, that's the full season prediction show. We're still getting a ton of traffic. It was our most watched show ever through the first 24 hours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But also, we've come off that, and then we're going into tonight. It's going to be a totally different show tonight, totally different format. So we're very much chameleons around here. But tonight's big because we are going to announce before we go off the air our destination for week one of the Every Given Saturday Tour. And man, we've been waiting on this one for a while. So stay tuned. That's coming up. Can't wait. See the hand? It was shaking the other night. It's shaking even more tonight. Can't wait. Let's dive into tonight's show. I wanted to talk to you about some pressure games, and I'm specifically talking about the kind of pressure that's above and beyond just every Saturday in college football. We love Every Given Saturday for a reason, but these games that we have circled, I've got five of them here, These have some extra juice to them. I'm not going in chronological order, but all of these are happening in the first five weeks of the season. Penn State at Auburn, this is in week three. This is so huge. I've told you before, my favorite uh, pro wrestling event growing up was WrestleMania 17. I'm not alone in that. 
And as Austin and Rock are doing that walk to the ring before they're gonna go to the, the pre-match bumper, Paul Heyman says it's the match that both men need to win and neither man can afford to lose. That was in 2001. I still remember that vividly even today. I feel the same way about this game. Kind of a game that both teams need to win and neither team can afford to lose. And you may think to yourself, how can that be? It's an out-of-conference game. It's week three. Yes, it is. Now let's remember the context. Remember what happened in what the casuals would deem the offseason with Brian Harson and Auburn. They're not working with the same length of rope that maybe the over-under win total would lead you to believe they're working with. I know their over-under win total is six. Seven and five runs the real risk of Brian Harson losing his job down there this year. Not that it should, but it does. So we're not endorsing the methodology down there. We're just calling it like we see it. With James Franklin, 11 and 11 the past two years. Now, obviously, JP Poll has Penn State entering the season at number 10. I believe in Penn State. That doesn't mean I'm right. It could go sideways. And if they open the season with a loss either at Purdue or two weeks later in this game at Auburn, it'll be very uncomfortable. But my question is this. What if they do open the season with a loss already at Purdue and then they're coming into this game at Auburn? It's pressure packed regardless. But what if they're running the risk of starting one and two? Think about that. And then also think about Auburn's second half of their schedule and why it is so necessary, if not mandatory, for them to start fast. I've, I've repeated it, but I'll do it once more for the podcast crowd. They got a couple of layups, and then they got Penn State, Missouri, and LSU. Those are home games. And then it feels like they don't ever play at home again the rest of the way. And they got a bunch of ranked teams and power-rated teams. The only one that they could feel semi-confident in penciling in as a W is Western Kentucky. And I only tell you to pencil that one in because you don't know how battered and beat up you could be by them. Point being, kind of a game that both need to win, neither can afford to lose. Next up, also a week three game here. Brigham Young goes to Oregon. And uh, Oregon will have already played Georgia by this point. You know, Brigham Young will have already played Baylor. Or Yeah, Baylor. I think it's time to pause and remind you, because I've seen some of you ask in the comment section, why I don't say the initials for Brigham Young. It's nothing personal. It's a personal problem I have, but it's nothing personal against the university. I just really struggle saying the letter Y when there's a letter before it and after it. Just sounds ridiculous. So I say Brigham Young. Sue me. Brigham Young at Oregon in week three. I guess there's an outside shot. The Every Given Saturday tour could be here. Think about what would happen. Think about how the perspective nationally on this game would change if Oregon beat Georgia in week one. And then especially if Brigham Young beat Baylor in week two, and they're both undefeated playing here. So yeah, let's keep that one on the radar. But regardless, let's just say the point spreads hold. And let's say University of Oregon, for example, does lose in week one to Georgia. Well, then Dan Lanning and his company, they come home. It's not a huge deal to lose to last year's national champ in their backyard. Uh, that's, that's something that most people, I think, expect. But what you can't have is you can't have yourself being bullied twice in the first three weeks, including once at home, you can't be out physical twice. And Brigham Young is going to come into Eugene, Oregon, and it will remind, it'll probably remind people a lot of the physical challenge you had against Utah last year. And I don't think I need to remind anyone how those Oregon versus Utah games went. So if you want to talk pressure, I know that they've barely broken into their new offices there, but Dan Lanning and his coaching staff will feel the pressure in that week three game against Brigham Young. And then all, also there's the pressure on Brigham Young's side of 
virtually everyone returning and there's such high hopes this year. Look at how many opportunities they have. They play Baylor in week two. They go to Oregon, the game we're talking about in week three. Later, you know they've got Notre Dame. Arkansas goes to Provo to play them. So they got so many opportunities. There's not that one game. It's not like Cincinnati's schedule where you say they play Arkansas, but then the rest of it is G5 competition. No, they got multiple shots here. Uh, that's the byproduct of having an independent schedule. So that's the second one I'm looking at. The third one is a week prior. It's in week two. South Carolina at Arkansas. Huge pressure-packed game here. Where is each of these programs perceptionally? Where are they right now? They're on the climb, right? South Carolina did a lot more than you probably thought they would last year. And the locals, and I think nationally also, perceive that program to still be ascending. Ditto with Arkansas. They did more than you thought they'd do last year. And the locals, myself included, perceive the program to still be in ascension mode. Neither have peaked, in other words. I think it's fair to say that's the national perception. Yet they play in week two this year. And so South Carolina's got Georgia the following week, and they will be a healthy home underdog in that game. So on one hand, you got some real positive momentum that could be shot already if you start one and two. And then over on the Arkansas side, if you think about what all they have out of conference and in conference, they open against Cincinnati. The next week is this game, South Carolina coming in there. You already know if you lose that game, that's a conference loss. And if you lose that game, that's before you play A&M. That's before you play Bama. That's before you go to Mississippi State. You got a trip to Auburn later in the year. LSU comes to town. Ole Miss comes to town. So you've got so much left that I guarantee you anyone in and around Fayetteville, Arkansas, who has done the old win-loss, win-loss exercise on their helmet grid schedule, they've got both of these first two games as wins. Now, they may say they'll be good. They'll be good, stiff competition, but we're not losing to Cincinnati. We're not losing to South Carolina. And all of a sudden, if you lose either one of those, and especially this one because it's a conference game, things feel like they change a little bit quicker than uh, you thought they would this year. How about we go all the way to week five? Let's go to the ACC. This is the one pretty much everyone has circled in this conference. NC State at Clemson. Week five. Everyone's got it circled. I've got it circled. Jesse and Colin have it circled. I'm pretty sure our production executives have it circled. Success or failure for Clemson this year is, is point blank winning the ACC championship. At the very least, getting back to the game. I think we would all agree with that. And yet, this is a division opponent of theirs. And this is not the Pac-12 where they just take the two best teams. You still got to win your division in the ACC as of this moment, at least, to make it to Charlotte for the ACC championship game. And so NC State got the better of them last year. 27 to 20, I want to say, was the final score. I think that was an overtime game. You see the over-under win totals. If you're listening on podcast, Clemson is a solid two games above NC State from an odds maker's perspective when it comes to preseason win totals. And a big part of that is Clemson gets NC State at home. Just think this through with me. Think about how much the division and the league could change on that given Saturday. Every given Saturday, this one especially. If NC State goes to Clemson, boom, 24 to 21, they pull off the upset. They essentially hold a game and a half lead over them in the division standings. So it's, it's going to take a couple of losses for Clemson to climb over them. And it's going to take Clemson not losing again. And that's where I want you to look at the rest of NC State's schedule. 
they don't play Miami in the regular season. So their other stiffest conference tests would be Florida State at home, Virginia Tech at home, Wake at home, Boston College at home. Their only other two road games of any note in the ACC are at Louisville and at North Carolina. Now, for the record, those are the last two games of the year. But by then, man, that defense is zoned in. Offensively, you, your team, you just are what you are at that point. And chances are you're favored even in road environments. So this one's huge. You can talk all you want to about power ratings, and we do it on this show. And you can talk about who'd be favored on a neutral field. NC State at Clemson. That's essentially what the ACC, at least in that division, may come down to on that Saturday. And one week before that, I got to talk about a big one in the Big Ten. Michigan at Iowa. This is a rematch of your Big Ten championship game last year. And if you don't remember that, it's because the final was 42-3. to It was a splattering. Michigan over Iowa. It's the first time we're going to see pressure applied to Michigan this year. Unless Maryland pulls something off in the big house. It'll be the first time that they have to go on the road, period. And it'll be the first time, easily the first time, they face a team physically that can match up with them. And this is also where we get to put one of the big statements that's circulating out there about Michigan to the test. That statement, which I don't endorse, obviously, is they are a shell of what they were last year. They'll fall back. They'll come back to the pack. Last year was great, but you had the -the off-the-field drama with Harbaugh, which I care less and less about as the days go on. And you lost some guys like Hutchinson and Ajabo to the NFL. You just can't replicate that. I'm a believer this team will be every bit as good, if not maybe even better than last year. And I've spelled that out for you. I've given you the reasons why. Well, anyway, the beauty of this game is we get to test it all. Because if they go on the road against the team that they housed in the Big Ten Championship game, and they either get upset or it's a struggle down to the wire and offensively they can't move the ball, well, then all of a sudden, maybe, depending on how the game shakes out, we're looking at it and we're saying, hmm, either the Michigan doubters were right and I was wrong, or maybe they handled them. And by the way, this is an extremely difficult place to go into. Everybody in the Big Ten talks about this. I grew up in the South. People don't talk about Kinnick Stadium. That's only because no Southern teams go in there. Everybody who goes in there uh, talks about, especially early in the year when Iowa's got everything in front of them to play for, everyone talks about how difficult an environment that is, and they always cross their fingers. This is where the Fox contract is huge for road teams. They all want that noon game. All Penn State, Michigan, all the, all the folks who have to go into Iowa City, they want that noon kickoff. You may despise it. I know the folks in Iowa despise it. They want to play. They don't want, they don't want it to be nighttime when they kick that thing off. So Michigan at Iowa, NC State at Clemson, South Carolina at Arkansas, Brigham Young at Oregon, and Penn State at Auburn. Those are some, not an exhaustive list, but some of the pressure games I've got my eye on. I wonder where we're going to open our next Academy Sports and Outdoors. I have not heard from them. We do have a big change coming up in the next, what, week or week and a half with Academy. But I appreciate you guys so much for doing what you did last week. And for those of you who are kind of new around here, we've had two grand openings of stores, one in Panama City and one in Richmond, Virginia. And Academy, well, they essentially put it on us to handle it however we want to. They are our exclusive partner. And we don't have 15 other sponsors around here because they totally take care of us. And they said, hey, why don't you plug those stores? Why don't you? And so we did. And I challenged you guys. You go there on those grand opening weekends and you prove it to me, then I'm going to send you, I'm going to send five or so of you a chalice of supremacy. And uh, that's that little glass figurine there for those unfamiliar. You learn more and more about the layers associated with the show as you tune in more often. 
And those are, uh, for the record, about to be shipped out later this week. But man, we have done big time business with both of those grand openings. And you don't have to live in those two cities, obviously. You probably have one close to you, brick and mortar. But if you don't, academy.com is there. So all I, all I do is I put it to you like this. If you need outdoor gear, period, sporting goods and otherwise, clothing, shoes, whatever the case may be, if you need it and you like the show, Academy is the place for you to go because I cannot overstate enough how much they do to help our show. All this stuff you see in the way that we make it free and, and we never have to sweat any of those budgetary details, it's because of them. So if you already need that stuff in your life, academy.com or Academy Sports and Outdoors in person. I would encourage you to go in there because you'll probably find 15 or 20 things you didn't know they carried that, as it turns out, you need. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. It's time for us to talk about a topic that comes up a lot, but I don't just immediately tackle it head on. Well, it's time to tackle it head on tonight. Colin, I think this will be a good intro for you for the individual video. What do you really think about the playoff? What do I really think about the playoff? I had two of you ask me different questions that we can wrap into the same segment tonight, and I'm going to read them to you. First question, honest question. Do you think an expanded playoff more teams going to have a shot at getting blue-chip five-star recruits. The same six teams get the best recruits because they make the playoff and vice versa. It seems that it has a chance to increase parity. So the first question is, if we expand the playoff, are the recruits going to go more places than just the top programs? I'll answer that in a second. The second question was, could you explain your strong dislike of the postseason for the new viewers? Of course I can. Because I think it is a little bit misunderstood. First question. Will expansion spread out the talent? No, it will not. I have explained my thoughts on this several times. There, I want to be nice about this, and I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I found one of the biggest discrepancies in the perception of the way this sport works is how much a lot of us value the college football playoff and access to it versus how much recruits value access to it. We do these signing day shows. Uh, we take these commitments live on air all the time, and we talk to kids behind the scenes a lot. 
I swear to you guys, if they care about access to the college football playoff, it is the biggest kept secret in all of recruiting. They don't talk about it. They may mention it on the periphery. If you ask a kid, hey, do you want to make it to the playoffs? They're not going to say no. I'm not telling you they don't care about it. I'm saying if you really injected them with truth serum, which is illegal, but if you were to inject them with truth serum and you got their true list of priorities, it would be like sixth or seventh. They just don't care about access to the playoff like you think they do. Now, the perception, you know, the, the working theory amongst expansionists is, well, once some of those programs are able to make the playoff, then they're able to market themselves differently and they're able to get a different caliber athlete and therefore they're able to year over year build a more sustainable and higher level functioning product. It, it just, I love weather. I love atmospheric science. The reason I'm not an on-air meteorologist, the reason I did not pursue a career in that field is because I am a victim of what the James Spans of the world would accurately describe as wish casting. I've got what I want to happen in my head, and I don't care what the model data says. I don't care what the output says. I will put my own spin on that. If I've got a hundred different model scenarios for what next Thursday is gonna be like in Nashville, and only six of them really paint a scenario that I like, I'll just find a way for one of the six to work its way into my forecast. That's not real, but that's wish casting. That's one of those things where, yeah, it could happen. It just like the 26-point week one underdog could win, so I'm going to predict them to win. Well, you're wish casting. You're talking about what you hope will happen, not what's most likely to happen. What's most likely to happen when you expand that playoff is watering down the regular season. Don't yell. I'm going to get to that in just a second. Don't yell at me yet. You're going to water down the regular season. You're going to take all consequence off of the games that used to be the biggest ones. You're going to put some manufactured consequence on games that won't mean anything in the grand scheme of things when it comes to your precious playoff. And kids are still going to go where they've always gone. Answer me this, please. Anyone in the room, Jesse and Colin, anyone. If access to the playoff is the end-all be-all for how you up your game in recruiting, how in the world did Texas A&M just do what they did? And then as you answer that question, isn't that the future of recruiting? Like in the NIL era, whatever your answer to that A&M question is, by the way, isn't that the direction the sport's headed? Therefore, doesn't it make the most sense that the best resourced programs are going to still be the ones at the end of the day? at the top of the recruiting rankings, the ones that can develop the talent the best, the ones that have the track record and pedigree of sending kids to the NFL the most, those are the ones at the end of the day, I would, I would suggest, that are still gonna be at the top of the recruiting rankings. You're trying to tell me, no, if you lock down an 11 seed and go get your brains beat out in the first round, doesn't matter, because you can all of a sudden go into a living room and say, look, we got an 11 seed. And that kid's like, look, I've still got an offer from Georgia. So he's still going to Georgia. You're not plucking any kids away from those elite programs that you already weren't going to get. So no, I don't think it's nearly the disruption mechanism inserted into the recruiting landscape that some people think it is. And I would say otherwise, trust me, I'm not against parity. I'm not against competitive balance. I'm against very, very jack-legged theories of how to accomplish it. It's the first time we've ever said jack-leg on the show. Second accusation that you wanted me to address is, do I hate the postseason? 
It was interesting they said postseason and not playoff. I certainly don't hate the postseason. I love the postseason. I love bowl season. I don't mind the playoff. So I'm just going to, here's what we're going to do. Executive decision. We're going to pretend that the question was, can you explain your hatred for the playoff? And I'm going to answer that hypothetical question. Certainly I can. I don't hate the playoff. We, I get asked this all the time. So I finally got asked on the record. I don't hate the college football playoff. I don't mind crowning a national champion at the end of the year. I hate skipping the meal to get right to the dessert. That's what I hate. And I hate the propensity for a lot of folks, both fans and at the national media level, of advocating for that mentality. Let's skip right past the regular season and let's just focus our entire attention on a college football playoff. And we skip the best thing in all of sports, in my opinion. The focus even in week two and week three, is not on this game. It's, boy, Penn State-Auburn, how does this impact the playoff picture? Forget the playoff picture. It's Penn State playing in Jordan-Hare Stadium. I don't need the backdrop of the college football playoff. Here's the thing I've learned about December and January. Every year of my existence, it eventually gets here. I don't have to hit the fast forward button. It doesn't matter how much I look forward to it or I resist it. It just gets here in the same amount of time that it always has taken it to get here. College football playoffs, same way. It gets here. You don't have to promote it going into and out of every commercial break on networks that happen to own the contract for that playoff. You don't have to constantly inject playoff ramifications for a game to mean something. They already mean something. That's why we're playing them. There are some folks, myself included, who pride ourselves as an every given Saturday type because we love the Saturdays. And then anything above and beyond, we'll take it. But it's the dessert. That's our cheesecake. That's not the steak. Now you may say, cheesecake's great. It is. But man cannot live on cheesecake alone. It's the book of Josh. Not the book of Joshua. Just the book of Josh. Take the UA off. Um, so that's... That's essentially my stance. There's no hatred. I go to the playoff games every year. I go to the national championship game every year. We have a ton of fun at those games. But what I really don't like is I don't, I don't enjoy the, I don't enjoy the kind of the decrease in value placed on regular season at the expense of a playoff. And then there's this, this other kind of line of thinking that I've discussed many times it, I, I will admit to you readily, it doesn't matter what I think about this. I'm going to dedicate this entire next two minutes to Brady Quinn. It doesn't matter what I think. I know that because I know that we're headed a direction that's inevitable at this point. Expansion is inevitable. So is death. I don't have to embrace it and I can resist it as much as I want to. But yeah, we're going to expand. I just, I take, I take a lot of exception to the notion that expansion is not going to water down the regular season. Nay, it's actually going to put more emphasis on more games because why? More games will have playoff meaning. Well, that's true. You always assume, though, that when you increase the amount of spots, that sentence, playoff meaning, will carry the same value. It won't, but you're going to have to learn that the hard way, and that'll come in due time. The other thing that I want to ask you, though, is do you really get what you're saying? When you talk about more games with meaning, well, you also have games with less meaning as it relates to your precious playoff. And I wanna ask you, cause a lot of you who advocate for expanding the playoff, you admit to me all the time, oh, I know we're not gonna change the championship. The same elite teams will win the championship. We just wanna make the regular season a little bit more exciting at the end and, and put some ramifications on the line so that these games aren't meaningless. 
biggest casual sentence in the world, by the way. Anyone who calls college football regular season games meaningless, if there aren't playoff spots on the line, go tell them to sit by the garbage. Get them out of your life. They don't have any business around any show like this or any person like you. But let's just entertain it for entertainment's sake. You tell me that we're going to have more games with playoff ramifications attached to them. That's true. I ask you this. You yourselves sometimes tell me, eh, they're not going to win the title, but getting into the playoff will be fun. So what you're doing when you expand that field is you're taking the playoff ramifications off of the games that feature teams actually capable of winning the thing, like Ohio State and Michigan last year, or uh, Bama any given year when they're in a must-win game at the end of the season, SEC championship game last year, Iron Bowl 2013. You're taking the ramifications off the games that feature the teams that actually are capable of winning. You just put this giant safety net under them. They're going to be in unless they lose four games, which they never do. And instead, you're taking the ramifications and you're putting them on games that feature teams that won't be capable of winning the title. Now, you explain to me in the long term how that's more healthy for the sport. You explain to me long term how that's more exciting. What's going to happen is initially it would be exciting. It would be amazing for a couple of years. Then you would reprogram your mind because you would see some teams fight tooth and nail and they get in the playoff. And then what happens to them in the playoff is what will always happen when the 14th or 15th best team in the country goes up against one of the top two or three teams in the country. And then your mind will have learned in 2029 and 30 and 31 that those playoff ramification games, they don't quite mean as much. And I'll also suggest to you this, the value of making the playoff will not carry the kind of value it does when you only have four spots. Because uh, since the beginning of time and until the end of time, you can't increase the amount of something and maintain the value of something. Scarcity means something. And we got it right now. You won't have it in the future. So anyway, in case you can't tell, I get a little worked up over this. Uh, It's just one man's opinion. I know what the pros are. You don't have to give me any pro playoff expansion argument. I've heard them all. I don't agree with them. You're probably not going to change my mind on this. But um, I'll tell you, the lamest, the lamest softball that anyone throws at me at 14 miles an hour, and they think they got you with it. This is the definition of a casual. How can you be against more football the same way I'm against printing more money when we can't back it? Do, do you increase the value of the dollar bill in my hand when you print 10 more over there? No, you decrease the value of it, just like you decrease the value of what it means to make the playoff when you all of a sudden just throw out a bunch more playoff spots. But you know what? Maybe the entire laws of humanity will be changed by the playoff committee. That, you know what? That's probably the more likely track we're on. Those of you who have tuned in for a while know what the paper pot means. Can we please move on? It's a solo hosted show. Yes. Okay, so we're moving on. Jackson asked earlier today, which teams do you think have the largest likelihood of beating the model and which teams have the largest likelihood of not living up to the model? The model, of course, is... The Pate State model, which spits out the JP poll, that's our own personal internal top 25, produced by our own internal model. Uh, The model's been very good to us over the course of history. No, I'm not going to show you the stats right now because we don't have time. You're just going to have to take my word for it or call me a liar. I don't really care. But there are some teams I think that we are a little bit exposed on that could embarrass us this year. It's going to happen somewhere. No model is flawless. So we're going to get embarrassed somewhere. Michigan, we've got it number four. The AP has them at number eight. So yeah, I, uh, I took a lot of flack because I put Michigan in the playoff actually the other day. And I took a lot of flack because obviously people think if you 
have your coach try and go to the NFL and then come back and you lose both coordinators and you lose a top five NFL draft pick and a premier edge rusher, you're not going to be as good as you were last year. And I get the logic behind it. My counter has been, you're talking so much about what they lost, you haven't spoken a word to me about what they have and who they have. And who they have are really good players. Who they have in those coordinator spots are guys who were already in the building last year. They didn't feel the need to go out externally and do a national coaching search, Harbaugh didn't at least, because he thought he had his guys already around. The offensive coordinators, for example, were already there. So anyway, that doesn't mean it's a foregone conclusion that Michigan's going to fulfill all my expectations. In fact, this segment is about what could happen. What could happen is they aren't uh, able to bring the same fastball they did last year. And they do drop some close games. Or maybe they are not able to get off the field on third down as effectively as they were last year. And maybe the expectation for that offense to take the next step production-wise, maybe it's just not there. All these things are possibilities. I'm banking on the fact that I'm right. But in the spirit of this segment, sure. Sure, and I'll tell you what else could happen as you look at their schedule. It's not the toughest schedule in the world. So some of these problems could be masked. One of our favorite metaphors on the show is the dam and the water pressure. And a dam's cracks are only visible if you apply enough pressure to it. Otherwise, especially if you stand a long way away from a cracked dam, you can't tell that thing's cracked. It just, it looks really big. It looks really impressive. Well, when you go to Iowa, do they have enough offensive punch to expose your cracks? Does Penn State at home, are they going to possess enough firepower to expose your cracks? Uh, Michigan State, like you can go up and down the line. It's really not until you go to Ohio State at the end of the year, at least as you look at the schedule, where you're 100% sure, hey, if no one else takes care of it, that team will expose your cracks. I'm betting the cracks are small. Some of you think the cracks are bigger. Rest assured, either way, uh, one of us will be proven right by the time they get to the end of the season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. The next team on the list is Clemson. We've got them, uh, JP poll rated number five. The AP's got them higher, so I don't, I don't know why we got a lot of pushback on this, but we did. And uh, this one's not hard to figure out. We could be wrong on Clemson because the same problems could persist this year as did last year. And that's just offensive ineptitude. And then we add in the fact that we lost Brent Venables as our defensive coordinator. We lost Tony Elliott. This is all preview magazine stuff. You already know all that. Uh, But we haven't played a season. You know, sometimes I've noticed, I've done this too. In June, especially if you're a year-round type college football fan, you start getting your thoughts ready for the season, right? And so in June, 
you tell yourself, if you believe it, ooh, Clemson's going to really miss Brent Venables. And then in July, you're telling yourself, ooh, Clemson's really going to miss Brent Venables. But then by the time August comes around, you don't want to sound like a casual and just repeat the same old stuff. You want to sound like you're a little bit smarter than everyone in the room. So you all of a sudden avoid talking about Brent Venables. But here's the thing. If it's going to be a problem, it's going to be a problem. It doesn't matter how often you say it. So I've gotten away from talking about the coordinators leaving because, well, number one, it would make me sound like a hypocrite because I just told you I don't think it's going to matter much with Michigan. I will say uh, this is not an apples to apples scenario, Clemson, Michigan. Uh, But also, I've gotten away from talking about it because, well, I kind of am the person that I just referenced. I just think everyone knows it by now. But if it's going to be an impact, it's going to be an impact. And if we're wrong about Clemson, this is going to be why we're wrong. We've got them at number five, and they just won't live up to it because they're still missing those pieces. Because DJ isn't at quarterback what um, he was ever expected to be, and and some of the problems last year are still problems this year. And maybe even if they put K. Klubnik in, which, by the way, sounds more and more by the day like a possibility up there, maybe he has true freshman struggles. So, Yes, the problems could still be there. Uh, we just, you've got to judge teams not in a vacuum, but you've got to judge them against every other team. So this Clemson team, I wouldn't like their odds against 2018 Clemson. That's not who they're playing. They're playing Wake Forest of 2022. They're playing NC State. They're playing Boston College, Notre Dame. None of these teams, aside from Notre Dame and Miami, can even come close to comparing to the overall talent roster they've assembled. That's not the team that always wins, but... Man, you have to have it to win. It's one of the key ingredients. So I still believe in Dabo Swinney, too. That's another little side note. I also need to talk about Penn State. Penn State was one of our biggest differentiation teams. We've got Penn State power rated number 10. AP poll doesn't even have them ranked, which is kind of laughable. Even if you don't think they belong in the top 10, I can understand that. Uh, This is one of the 25 best teams in the country. Now, if you don't believe it, you're obviously drawing on the last two years and the record and stuff. And I, I've explained windshield versus rearview mirror mentality. It hardly ever pays off to live in the rearview mirror when it comes to trying to make money betting off this sport or just trying to accurately predict the sport, having a really good pulse. It's not smart to blindly favor teams just because they return a bunch of starters. And it's not smart to blindly be against teams because they have a bunch of pieces back from a team that wasn't good. Million and one factors go into the outcome of a season. So with Penn State at number 10, I'm a believer in them. But if we're wrong, we'll be wrong uh, probably because of injury because that's normally how it happens with us in Penn State. But the other reason would be maybe offensively they're just tapped out. Uh, Maybe even though they got Tinsley in there from Western Kentucky and they think they have a really solid one-two combo at receiver with he and Parker Washington, maybe it never clicks because maybe that offensive line isn't as promising as it has sounded like it is. And maybe, therefore, that running game never gets going. All this is complimentary, of course. You need one to impact the other to impact the other. And if, if that's the case, then they could easily lose two of their first three games. They're vulnerable there. They could lose, obviously, at Michigan. They play Ohio State a couple weeks later. Minnesota, between those two, is no layup whatsoever. You lose to Illinois at home, nothing's a layup. I will never, ever forget that. I was in the Alabama press box, I think, watching that game in disbelief. I don't care who started at quarterback. was in disbelief. And also, they end the season against Michigan State. So, yeah, there are multiple losable games there. I believe we predicted them to go 9-3 and three 
That was our most likely with, I think, 10-2 and two or 11-1 and one is the best case. I believe in Penn State this year. I think they'll be very good. But if we're wrong, that's why we'll be wrong. Now, the teams we're lower on than the national types are, and I feel like we're a little bit exposed here. Ole Miss, we are, we are the model. It's the model. It's not me. I love Ole Miss. It's the model. For the record, any team that we have rated lower than the public does, it's the model. It's not me. So Ole Miss, we have power rated 21, but we project their record at 6-6 six and six last in the SEC West. And here's the really bad part about it. This is where you really just start to ask yourself or the model, model, how do you expect this to happen? Because model, have you looked at Ole Miss's schedule? Just talking to the model now. You're just eavesdropping. Ole Miss's schedule is as follows. Think about this start. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. Those are four wins. If they're not, they got much bigger issues than even I thought. They get Kentucky at home. Then they got Vanderbilt on the road. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six games to start the year. They'll be favored in all of them. The only one who should be able to give you legitimate pushback is Kentucky at home. Now, it gets very difficult after that, but if you're thinking about our model, you just saw them play six games that they'll be ranked in. Five, you're very confident they'll win. Well, man, no matter how hard the rest of the way is, they only got to win one or two more to surpass your expectation, and that's accurate. I see that just like you guys do. And by the way, that gives you a lot of time to get all those loose pieces from the transfer portal into something that resembles just a cohesive unit, or as you might call it, a team. And if we're wrong about Ole Miss, that's why we'll be wrong. Um, because obviously by that time, whatever you have at quarterback, you will long since have figured out. Zach Evans will be rolling and, and hanging 130 yards per game on the ground. So yeah, they'll, they'll be very good this year. I just, I'm not... It sounds very weird. I'm not down on them. I think they're a good team. If I were down on them, I wouldn't have them power rated in the top 25. They just play a lot of good teams. And there's, if you're, if you're simulating things, a bunch of scenarios where the transfer portal approach just doesn't work out like you hope it does. You've got to acknowledge that's a possibility if you want others to acknowledge it's a possibility that it all works out. So, you know, not everyone can be Michigan State from last year. LSU is another team I need to talk about. So I was supposed to go on Jordi Collati's show this morning, or Collada, not Collati, he's not Italian. And uh, we, had, we had phone gremlins eat that interview up, so I couldn't do it this morning. And I was looking in his live chat, and some of Jordi's audience thought that I had bailed because I did not want to come on the show and defend my prediction of LSU going 7-5. and five. I have no problem doing that. Like I told you guys, it's the model, it's not me. Blame the computer, don't blame me. I mean, off the record, probably 11-1 and 1 or 12-0 and 0 for LSU. But the model says otherwise. I would just ask you this. Can you see right now? Do you see what this screen says? Vegas odds makers, the people who set numbers that were able to build that entire city, have you at seven wins as the over-under. So it's not the craziest concept in the world to envision this path where LSU is 7-5. and five. It's not crazy. I, I know that the glasses are always half full down there, or more than half full, and that's what I love about you. I would love to be wrong. I would love for the model to be wrong. I have a soft spot in my heart for LSU. However, let's just entertain this, because that's what this segment's about. If we are wrong, how would it happen? Well, it would happen with a win in week one, I believe. Uh, for the record, that's one of our best bets. We love LSU minus three in week one. Here's where I'm worried 
Um, and this is something that does not jive with a lot of what you've heard from Brian Kelly lately. And it does not, it does not sync up with what you're reading from insiders and hearing from practice. I am still not sold on LSU's ability to play at a high enough level at corner. I'm just flat out telling you, I know what's being said. I get it, I get it, I get it, and I hope they're right. I also know that there have been many good things said about many good position groups in the past, and then all of a sudden the season starts, and by halftime of week two or week three, you're on the message board saying, what happened to all the promise and confidence we had in this unit or that unit? Just telling you, it's not really until week three where you start to find it out. Because it's not until week three that you get the kind of passing attack against Mississippi State where they really leverage you. And not just your number one or two corner. You find out in that nickel and that dime package, which four or five other teams on your schedule are built to exploit if you have a weakness, you find out about your corner depth. It's not just one or two guys. You find out about that depth at that point. And if they are a little bit exposed there, then that's the way it could go sideways. So that's my take. That's why we have a healthy balance of promise, but also a little bit of skepticism. But if I'm wrong, then that's where I'll be wrong. Because if I'm wrong, if, if we're wrong, if the model's off, it's because I will have whiffed on my perception of them at corner. Now, if you're an LSU fan and you're listening to that and you're thinking, wait, the entire premise of us only winning seven games is based on our secondary? not being up to snuff. Well, you guys know what you're hearing from practice. You guys know what Brian Kelly said. So if they're right and I'm not right, I don't like to say wrong. If I'm not right, then yeah, they're going to win more than seven games. Uh, that's, that's all there is to it. And then obviously the quarterback battle is the entire backdrop. I don't really feel like we need to talk about that because everyone's talking about that. It also wouldn't hurt to have a competent run game this year, but they still have a lot of talent down there, and they still have a path to one, two, three, four, five. They got their own path to six and zero. Oh. You know, they'll they'll be favored in almost, if not every one of those games. They got a game at Auburn October first. The next week, Tennessee at home. The next week, on the road at Florida. The next week, Ole Miss at home. Take a break. Then you get Bama at home, and then it's just at Arkansas and at Texas A and M. Last two weeks of the season, or last two of the last three weeks of the season, it's it's going to get very, very difficult at the end of the year. It's kind of the same way with LSU it is with Auburn. Can you just rack up nothing but wins on the front end where if you grab one or two of them on the back end, call it a good year? Or do you drop a game earlier than you expect to? Because I think even LSU fans would agree with me, if, if you lose to FSU or if you lose to Mississippi State, that throws an entire wrench into everyone's plan. Because everyone's simulation of the LSU season in LSU country includes winning those games. You know that, and I know that. So if you lose one of those, it's going to be tight point spreads. If you lose one of those, then everything changes. But that's where I could be wrong with LSU. Where could I be wrong with Oregon? We don't have them power-rated top 25. It's one of our other big discrepancy teams. Their over-under win total is 9. We've got them going 9-3. and three. Um, So you may ask yourself, how are they going to win 9 games, but you don't have them power-rated top 25? Well, it's because of the relative strength of schedule to some of the other teams ahead of them. Number two, there's not a big gap. The gap from like, oh man, I got something in my nose. The gap between like 15 and 27 is three points. So there's not a big gap at all. So it's, it's a lot worse than it, than it actually is. But Oregon plays Georgia in week one. They got Brigham Young in week three. We've talked about that already. If I'm wrong, if Oregon is much better than we have them power rated and they are more in line with what the AP says, which is number 11, 
it'll be because defensively, a lot of those guys that Mario Cristobal and his staff recruited, they play up to the potential that you always thought they would. And also, you just flat out get more offensively than I expect them to get. Because I think they've got some promising but unproven pieces at receiver. I don't like that they lost Travis Dye to USC. I don't think anyone likes it, but I think it's going to have a pretty big impact on them. I don't know just blindly that I can trust their quarterback situation. I don't know that I can just fully endorse Bo Nix. You're talking to a guy who followed, I covered him in high school. I've followed Bo Nix's entire career, and I've always said he's underrated. But man, he doesn't have three years invested in the system out there. He just got there. So because of those reasons, I just have a little skepticism. But if I'm wrong, it's going to be because Bo Nix knows Kenny Dillingham's system. So it's not anything new for him. And those receivers do shine even more with this coaching staff than they did with the last one. And defense just is what everyone thinks Oregon's defense can be. If that's the case, that's a double-digit win team. That's a Pac-12 championship caliber team. So if I'm wrong on them, that's how I would be wrong. So you see, friends, I even I, I, even I understand. There is a path where the JP poll just goes up in smoke, little puffs of smoke. The whole thing, never. We're too good for that. But there could be some teams out there that harpoon us. So if it's going to happen, that's where it's going to happen. Did you, um, did you keep an eye on news today? Did you see what was happening today? Let me tell you where they're watching us, and then I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Naples, Italy, tuned in. New Orleans, Louisiana, tuned in. Roanoke, Virginia, tuned in. Nick Saban got a new contract today. Yeah, you know that. So I got a question here. And um, as I'm asking it, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. Why? Because Jesse just typed it in the chat. Or the prompter, if you will. So Nick Saban gets a new deal today. Ted asks, what are your thoughts on Nick Saban's new contract from Lubbock, Texas? Well, if you just got home from work, yeah, Nick Saban signed a new deal today. He was not going to let Kirby Smart remain the highest paid coach in this sport for very long. So far... Saban's made about $100 million in his time at Alabama as the head coach. That's before bonuses, by the way. So just his base pay, he's gotten about 100 mil. Not bad. Not bad at all. His new contract is for eight years. It will land him about another $93 million. And it goes from $10.7 million in the first year up to $12.7 million in the 2029 season. So if he were to run out the length of this thing, he will have made $193 million during his time at Alabama. And really, with inflation the way it is, you need to be up in the $190 million range for it to really matter, don't you? I think so. So I told producer Jesse, because unlike the Sunday show, he actually had some time on his hands today. I said, Jesse, I don't know what numbers you're going to find. Just, just go sit in a room for 20 minutes, find me some impressive numbers. Because I am of the belief as is anyone who understands economics, that you could pay Saban $20 million a year, and he's probably still underpaid. I saw Darren Ravel tweet out earlier today that Saban makes more per day than the annual tuition at Alabama. Well, that just means a couple things. Number one, he's probably still underpaid. Number two, college tuition's still insanely high. That's all that proves. It's, it wasn't the gotcha that he thought it was. Rarely is it, by the way. So Jesse comes to me, and he says, okay, so you know that he's got more, what does he have? He's got more first-round draft picks than total losses. Yep. He's got more national championships than anyone all time. Yep. He's got four Heisman winners. Before he got there, they had never won one. Yep. They've, they've had 106 weeks 
as the number one team in the AP poll. Yep, I know all that. All right, give me something that I would not know off the top of my head. So Jesse comes to me and he says, let's talk recruiting. And I said, let's. He said, since 2010, that's 13 recruiting cycles, Alabama has finished top five every year. Talent acquisition, if that's the name of the game, that's where you want to be. So the past 13 recruiting cycles, Bama's been top five every year. They've been number one nine of those 13 years. Who's the second best? Who's the next closest recruiting machine to Alabama? It probably won't surprise you to know it's Ohio State. Over the past 13 years, Ohio State has had nine top five classes. They've never finished number one. They've had nine top five classes. That's how many number one classes Saban's had over that time period. And it gets even juicier. How about this? The number three and number four most impressive teams over the past 13 cycles, that would be Texas and LSU. Texas and LSU over the past 13 cycles. The, the third and fourth best recruiting programs over the last 13 years are Texas and LSU. They've got a combined 12 top five classes. Bama's got more than that by themselves over the past 13. They've been top five every year. They've been number one nine times. So by my calculations, that's pretty good. But that's not what I really wanted to show you tonight. I don't think that's the hammer. The hammer, and uh, for, for, the, for our college audience, as I take a very relaxed posture here for some reason, our college audience is massive. It's, it's the biggest chunk of audience. It's our biggest de demographics, 18 to 24. You guys have only known prosperous times at Alabama. It wasn't always that way, children. But since you've known prosperous times in Alabama, I want to take you back a little ways uh, because on the front end of his run there, you know, if you're in high school, if you're an early college age kid right now, you don't really remember Houston Nutt in the SEC. You don't remember Tommy Tuberville. You just know that's some dude in politics. You don't know he was the head coach at Auburn. You don't remember that Philip Fulmer actually roamed the sidelines of Neyland Stadium, and you don't remember that because Saban put every one of them out to pasture. So, I told producer Jesse, how much carnage has he inflicted on this conference? How many careers has he completely torpedoed? How many programs has he sent into a decades-long abyss? And Jesse put together a graphic, and in the words of Dan Lust, one of the best legal minds in all of social media, Take a look at this graphic of the folks he's run out of this conference. Again, I cannot stress enough. In the words of Dan Lust, one of the great legal minds on social media, assault. This is assault. Look at these names. Phil Fulmer's there. Urban's there. Les Miles, Spurrier, Derek Dooley. There's all kinds of Tennessee coloring here. Uh, Gus Malzahn, Muschamp, remember him? Does anyone remember Hugh Freeze? The Jim McElwain era at Florida? Does anyone remember Les Miles at LSU? Saban has seen them all come and go. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, Ed Orgeron, even after that fiery speech post-2019 at LSU. And then, since there were only 31 of them, but we had 32 slots, we just added in more to come. Look at those names. I almost want to just leave it up and admire it for a second, immunity, because those those are a lot of names. And I was thinking to myself, if we expanded beyond the SEC, really, truth be told, there are more coaches nationally who have been fired that don't even have an SEC sticker on their team's helmet that are gone because they weren't matching what Nick Saban does. So 
Nick Saban got himself a new contract today. I know a lot of you don't like him. One of the biggest complaints we have on the show is you talk about him too much. I just want to ask you this. If you had your own college football show and you were watching the greatest to ever do it in the midst of the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport. Oh, and by the way, the traffic on videos in which you talk about him were about 23% above and beyond what normal traffic was. How would you format your show? We move on. I had another question today. This is almost what we're going to end the show with. We can't end it because we have a major announcement at the end of the show. Evan came in just in the nick of time and said, what are three ways not to think like a casual from Houston? See, Evan, I admire this because Evan sounds like a guy who is unsure of himself, but he wants to be better. And so I've got some simple rules. If you follow this show for any length of time, or even if you haven't, you know what a casual is. The casual is just the squarest of the square says the most commonsensical and nonsensical things ever, thinks they're right on everything, they subscribe to what we call fortune cookie logic, bumper sticker mentality, that's that kind of stuff that sounds good on the surface, but it doesn't stand up against any kind of harsh critique. The first thing you can do to avoid thinking like a casual is don't ever call a college football game a meaningless game. That is like a giant red flag right above your head that screams, Casual alert, casual alert, casual alert, and you just need to go sit by the garbage. You have been infiltrated. Your mind has been infiltrated with Sunday logic, but this is a Saturday game. We don't think like they do on Sunday. This is our sport. That's their sport. Now I'll get to that in just a second, but anyone who talks about meaningless games uh, is, is probably not capable of going, you know what? I hesitate to say this because it's not just 18-year-olds who say this. There are 58-year-olds who call some November college football games meaningless because they're not tied to the playoff. It's just, it's, it's casual AF, as Meemaw would say, casual AF. Next up, speaking of the Sunday logic, don't compare college football to pro sports. Please don't be the kind of casual who does that. Uh, they're numerous out there. Copious amounts of casuals walk in the streets amongst us with the same rights to drive an automobile and vote as you and I have. It's disgusting. And they talk about how this should be the case in college football. Why? Because they do it in every other pro sport. Well, this is not every other pro sport. In fact, what we like about our sport is it's different than everything else. So the last thing on this planet we would want to do is have it resemble everything else. Do you get that? It's not like anything else, so it shouldn't resemble everything else. That's the kind of fortune cookie logic that we can live our lives in accordance with. You will have, I guarantee you, every week of the college football season, if you expose, if you expose yourself to enough opinion out there, every Saturday and beyond, someone's going to come at you and they're going to tell you that something's wrong with our sport because it doesn't resemble what exists in pro sports. Never mind the fact that no pro sport comes anywhere close to being constructed the same way that college football is. It's just, that's the way it should be. Why? Because that's the way they do it on Sunday. Well, you know what you can do on Sunday? You can watch the Sunday game. You can leave us alone over here. And then there's this other group of people, believe it or not, who find a way to love college football for what it is, and then they love the NFL for what it is, and they just leave the Berlin Wall between the two. And the only time they really break it down is on NFL draft night when players go from one side of the wall and they just, they Gorbachev, they tear that thing down, they go right to the other side. But then there's a door on the wall and you close the door after that. That's the way it's supposed to work. Don't be a casual. Don't tear down the wall more often than it should be torn down. It's like the, um, 
It's like the, the anti-80s approach. I want to also talk to you for just a second about how not to be a casual, and the way to do that is to avoid the big lies. The big lies in college football sound a little something like this. Well, you are what your record says you are. No, you're not. No. If I go 12-0 in the MAC, I go 9-3 against Arkansas schedule, I can promise you I'm probably better than the 12-0 team. You aren't what your record says you are. That's Sunday logic. This is the Saturday game. It takes a little bit of diving beneath the surface to find out, regardless of your record, what kind of team you are. Second big lie in college football, a win is a win. It's not. There's subjectivity in this sport. There's a committee, whether you like it or not, that decides who goes to the college football playoff. And so if I'm favored by 38 and I win by three, and you're favored by 38 and you win by 43, we did not accomplish the same thing. No one thinks we did. Why repeat this absurdity? If I am playing the New York Jets Sunday and you're playing the LA Rams and we each win by three, we did accomplish the same thing. Why? Because it is professional sports. And that's the way pro sports work. College sports don't work that way. College football doesn't work that way. So I just want, I just want you to be on the lookout for this. And maybe you are a reformed casual and you used to traffic in this sort of nonsense. I commend you. I applaud you, and our numbers hopefully are growing by the day. But if you see a chance, in the words of Steve Winwood, take it to help some of, some of the more exposed casuals out there, because there's a home for you here. There's a home for you here. But you got to clean yourself up before you come in. We're ready to announce the Every Given Saturday Tour Week 1 destination. This is something that we did last year. We called it the Renaissance Tour. Uh, CBS gives us what do you call it, carte blanche, even though it's spelled like Blanche? They give us the ability, let's put it that way, to choose the game we want to go to, and we go to any game in the country, and we have a specific set of criteria we're looking for. We want to go to as many places as possible. We want to see as many venues as possible. We want to be in a competitive environment every Saturday. We don't want to see any blowouts if we can avoid it at all, but we also want to be in the biggest spots. The games that everyone's got circled, that's where we want to be. We want to see as many teams as we can. And so sometimes the game that you think we would be at is not always the game we're at. For example, if we had Bama playing a big game in week one, I'd be less likely to go to it because inevitably we're going to end up at one or two or maybe three Bama games. So especially earlier in the year, you're trying to get to places that you don't know you'll be able to get to later, and you're trying to see teams you don't know if you'll be able to see later. But you just also want to go where you want to go. So where are we going? The Every Given Saturday Tour is what we're calling this year's tour. Last year was the Renaissance Tour. This year, it's the Every Given Saturday Tour. You know where we're going? We're going to Fayetteville, Arkansas for week one. Cincinnati at Arkansas. I've never been to a game. I have only recently been to Fayetteville and that was on a storm chasing excursion. I have been counting down the days for me to finally be able to say, Late Kick is taking our operation on the road and we're going to the University of Arkansas. Cincinnati at Arkansas is a 3.30 Eastern time kick. Reynolds Razorback Stadium will be packed to the gills and there'll be thousands of folks outside who couldn't get in. This is a team in Cincinnati that went to the playoff last year and even though they lost a lot, this is a seven point spread guys and the model agrees. In fact, the model makes it even tighter than the Vegas number does. Sam Pittman and his staff, I think know they're in for a fight. 
I don't know if the rest of the country is as focused on this game yet as they need to be. We'll do our part to make sure you are come next week. But we're going finally to see Arkansas play in person. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say it's one of the top five most excited moments of my life. So Cincinnati at Arkansas. Cannot wait, cannot wait, cannot wait. And uh, you know what the added bonus is? We get to hang out with Trey Biddy. So it's a win-win-win for everyone involved. Every given Saturday tour, week one destination, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Cincinnati versus Arkansas. All right, we got to get out of here. Do me a favor on your way out. Just drop a like. Just hit the thumbs up button. Just click it, and then you're gone. Unless you haven't subscribed to the channel, in which case you should also click that red subscribe button. You guys have been doing a great job of that. I see it in our numbers. I, I get a report every day, and I appreciate it. If you're listening on podcast, same thing. Keep listening. Just subscribe. Most of our audience is still not subscribed. And there's no reason for it because it's free. So subscribe and otherwise keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate you guys so much. For Direct Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. We are out of here. Same time Thursday night. Until then, take care and God bless. Producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.